Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hour two of the show. Scott Alexander is going to come on in. We'll talk LSU hoops. Certainly, we'll talk more about the Anthony Davis situation. We just ran long in the first hour. I was going to get to the Tim Donahue story. We're going to do that second half of this hour. Much, many more details coming to light about Tim Donahue, the former NBA referee who was indicted and served a term in prison for his role in a sports betting scheme. He was betting on sports and betting on games that he refereed, that he took part in in the NBA. He always maintained that he didn't fix the games. He didn't call the games any differently depending on who he bet on. The NBA also, after their investigation, said they didn't find any evidence of this. Well, we all along believed, come on, it's nonsense. It's absurd. Of course that happened. And indeed, ESPN now has sources, many of them, on the record that show that Tim Donahue was involved in this point-shaving scandal and game-fixing scandal for a very long time, years in the NBA. He was involved with the, uh, even the Gambino crime family in New York, and this was a worldwide kind of web of hundreds of millions of dollars funneling into games that Tim Donahue officiated. So we'll get into that second uh, half of the hour. LSU basketball has a chance this week with their two games, tomorrow against Florida at home, against a team that Florida's just not the same team that they were under Billy Donovan. They just have not been the same team consistently as they were under Billy Donovan. And once again, they are a middling force that is is as squarely on the NCAA tournament bubble as you could possibly get. I've seen a couple of sites say Florida um, could be uh, in. I've seen a couple of sites say last four out, even uh, further than that. But they're 6-6 six and six right now, 14-11 and 11 overall. That is not a tournament resume. Neither is their 0-6 record against top 25 teams. LSU, meanwhile, at the top of the conference, they're now a half game back of Tennessee, but they have tiebreakers over Kentucky. They have the tiebreaker over South Carolina. And if they were to beat Tennessee this weekend, they would have the tiebreaker over Tennessee. And they would be large front runners to win the SEC basketball uh, regular season conference title, which is a little incredible considering coming into this year. We all thought LSU would be much better than they had been in the past with his recruiting class with uh, Nas Reed and, and Emmett Williams and Tremont Waters coming back. I don't think anybody thought LSU would challenge for a conference championship, not with Kentucky and Tennessee and Auburn in this conference and even Alabama being better and Florida's always there. But that's what's happening right now. It's, it's a swift rise that has benefited from some variance Certainly, when you win the overtime games, haven't lost one this year, that's variance. The uh, the games that are uh, eight points or less, the great record there. They've been fortunate with the injury situation. It's all variance that's in your favor. 
That doesn't mean this isn't a special season for the 13th-ranked Tigers. I can't wait till tomorrow. I, I, I just can't. I hope that is packed. I'm sure it will be packed. Everybody's ready for the weekend game against Tennessee, but that Tennessee game will matter less if LSU loses. It'll still matter. But, for example, if LSU loses to Florida and then they go and beat Tennessee this weekend, that means Kentucky, LSU, Tennessee now, they're in a three-way tie, and those head-to-head tiebreakers, well, they matter a lot less. If LSU beats Florida, beats Tennessee, then all of a sudden they're sitting alone atop the conference, one game up on Tennessee, one game up on Kentucky, with the tiebreakers, the season tiebreakers on those two teams because it's the only time they'll play. They would be in heavy control of the conference race. Now, what you also need to watch for, I was telling you this, just watch where the bracketologists across the country have LSU on their seed lines. Right now, I believe they'd be a four if the selection committee were to release their brackets today. But look where they play. What region that most people have them projected to be in instead of just the seeds. I don't like what Joe Lenardi has done to LSU. He has them in the East region in the same half bracket as Duke. You do not want to be in the same half bracket as Duke. That is not a recipe for you getting to an Elite Eight or possibly a magical run to the Final Four. Lots of college basketball going on tonight. Uh, some of the scores we see, uh, Florida State. They want Florida State to keep winning, LSU, because they lost Florida State earlier this year. Uh, Florida State... 16th right now they're in the top 20 or what 24 in net rating 44 31 they lead alabama beating texas a&m right now uh 30 to 24 we see kentucky all over missouri we're watching that one on the the screen up top left 41 23 uh, maryland got by iowa 66 to 65 uh, tennessee did beat vanderbilt 58 to 46 and Purdue won also 114 put up by Buffalo the Bison 114 to 67 uh, over Ohio so LSU this week it's a huge huge week for LSU they'll still have a couple of weeks left in conference play but unless something were to go drastically wrong down the stretch if LSU wins these two games they're probably going to win the SEC regular season conference tournament they're going to double by into the SEC tournament and then in the minds of the committee's eyes, if you all of a sudden beat Kentucky and then you beat Tennessee and you win an SEC title, you're in line for a two seed. And maybe if somehow you can run the table the rest of the way, maybe you might sneak up all the way to a one seed. Exciting times. I can't wait for tomorrow. And again, programming note, we will be broadcasting live the last lap from the PMAC after LSU basketball is complete. We will carry out uh, the LSU network coverage here on the radio with Chris Blair and coach John Brady. They'll go till about 8:30, 8:45, depending on how long the game goes, depending on overtime. And then we'll be coming to you from the PMAC after that. Thanks again to LSU and, and Kent Lowe and everybody out there for setting that up. Here's a text from the nine, eight, five Duke don't want to be in the same bracket with LSU. Well, I look, I know people love to hate Duke, but I'm just telling you what I see. Duke's the best team in college basketball. I think Gonzaga is right behind him. Virginia's very good. You don't want to be in the same half bracket as Duke. You don't want to be in the same half bracket as Gonzaga. Those are going to be really tough brackets to win, especially if you're talking about Gonzaga on the West Coast or Duke on the East Coast. We'll take a break. When we come back, Scott Alexander is going to join us. We'll talk some LSU hoops, talk some Pelicans with him, and probably some Nola Gold. 
Gold Rugby lost their first match over the weekend, but still 3-1. and one. Back with Scotty Alexander after this on the last lap. LSU baseball winners earlier tonight, their third comeback in their first four games of the season. Mathis and RBI single in the bottom of the eighth inning, and they defeat Southeastern 6-5. to five. Pretty good ball game over there at the box. LSU basketball, they'll play tomorrow against Florida, Saturday against Tennessee, a massive week for LSU hoops. We still have a texter from the 985 uh, texting and trying to convince me LSU is better than Duke. I'm not buying it. I've seen too much Duke. I like LSU. Scott Alexander, host of Primetime Sports on WLAE-TV. He's the COO of NOLA Gold, a, an LSU basketball junkie. Scott, you better, I gotta be loving this right now, man. Oh, my God. Yeah, 14 out of 15. What's not to love, man? How you been, buddy? <laughs> I've been good. It's been, uh, been a couple of weeks. been too long, man. Um, I'll let you answer the texture there. He keeps trying to text me or she, whoever keeps texting in, that, that LSU is the best team in college basketball and is better than Duke. How, how would you? What would you be a reply to that? I would say this. Not quite yet. Uh, not so fast, my friend. Listen, LSU is good. And I kept telling people last week, I was doing a few shows, and I said, listen, don't be surprised if LSU beats Kentucky because the talent is just as good. And the only thing I had a reservation about was the game was in Rupp Arena. I really did. I felt if it was at LSU, they would win because people think about you know LSU one way. Obviously, they haven't been very successful over the last 10 years and really over their history, and Kentucky is always great. But they're both playing a lot of freshmen, and they're both very good. But LSU is going to be just as good. But when you're talking about Duke, now we're talking about another level. Let's just take baby steps, my friend, because you just got by Kentucky and you're going to play Tennessee right now. If you can win that one, uh, especially coming off a loss like they had against Kentucky by 17 points, now you're talking about another level that you can start saying, hey, maybe we can start competing with the Dukes of the world. But let's not say we're better just yet. Hey, just so we're having the conversation, even in jest, or some people are thinking LSU could maybe beat Duke or is better than Duke, I think to show you how far this program has come in the two years that Will Wade has guided it here. Scott, what's the biggest reason in your mind for their unexpected jump? I say unexpected in, in that they're in the conference championship race. Everybody expected this to be a tournament team with the freshman that he had in, but not many people thought they would challenge Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn. That was the preseason favorites here in the SEC. No, I mean, think about that, because when in 2016, 15, 16, when Ben Simmons was there, everybody expected that team to go to the tournament. Sweet 16, maybe in Final Four, and they beat Kentucky by 20 back in January, and all of a sudden they had some injuries, and people were like, oh, my, they're such a failure. But the thing about this team is, like, they came in with a lot of the same credentials, and Will Wade had took a, taken a team that was 2-16 and 16 in conference made them 8-10 and 10 the year before with basically not a lot of talent, and he's blended the two veterans they've had, you know, Skylar Mays and, of course, uh, Trey Waters, who's played amazing, with five freshmen, well, four guys that are playing freshmen in a, in a transfer, obviously, the big fella, Cabell Bigby Williams. And he has blended this team, which struggled a little bit early, and now they are peaking at such the right time. And it's kind of crazy because once they got by Kentucky, the rest of the schedule opened up. And, of course, they play which used to be number one Tennessee, now number five uh, this Saturday, but it's at home. But the rest of the schedule says, hey, it's theirs, yours for the take in LSU, and this could be the year. Because we've seen it before, 2009, 14-2, won the conference. 2006, 14-2, went to the Final Four, won the conference. You know, back when Stromoff Swift was there, they had that great year in 2000. 
But it seems like every few years LSU does this, and this is one of those special years. Indeed. Scott Alexander joining us, a host of Primetime Sports on WLAE-TV, at Alexander on Twitter. We'll go small picture, then big picture. Small picture, does it feel like to you, Scott, that a lot of these young guys, uh, they're playing like they don't know that they're supposed to be intimidated uh, in, in places like Kentucky, um, or against these teams that are perennial powers, they seem like that young ragtag group that's just like, yeah, we're out here playing hoops, man. I don't, I don't know what the big deal is. It's kind of fun to watch. It exactly feels like that. I mean, isn't that great? I mean, if you remember when LSU did this in 2006, you had Taz Mitchell, who's kind of a man child. Everybody knew about him when he was in eighth grade, kind of like Sebastian Telfer, and even a little bit like LeBron. But then you had this guy that was a redshirt freshman, Tyrus Thomas, that came out of nowhere with another freshman named Big Baby, who was highly touted. And then you had just some other guys, you know, the Daryl Mitchells, and obviously uh, some other guys that were contributing. But this year is the same thing. You had two little bit, not veterans, but two guys. that One was a junior, one was a sophomore, and Skylar Mays, and obviously Tremont. And then you had this class that you knew was good. You, did, you didn't know how good they were going to be, but the key here is this team is wanting to play defense and rebound over the season. Because in the beginning of the season, you knew, that, you knew they had offense. But they weren't rebounding at all, at all. You know, guys like uh, Nas Reed, who's a McDonald's All-American with all the skills in the world, was playing on the wing. And all of a sudden now they've become one of the best rebounding teams, not only in the SEC, but the entire country. You know, Nas, you bring him up. What what struck me, Scott, is how unselfishly he plays at time. He makes some bonehead decisions, some rookie uh, well, freshman mistakes, like that three he jacked up late in the Kentucky Dam. Going, what in the world is he doing there on the left wing? But he's, he's so unselfish with his kind of the antithesis of a lot of these young guys, All-American, McDonald's All-American guys who come into campuses and think they're going to be the top dog, you know? So he's from Rosona, Jersey. And the funny thing about this guy, he came in because I saw him in the McDonald's All-American game. And of course, you're going to watch the guys that go to your school. And we had one that year. He was like going full court at six foot eleven, you know, doing around the back. And then he had this little pass. I'm like, oh my goodness. And I have to say, in the beginning of the season, this guy was probably playing a little bit for the NBA, taking some threes, not really caring about whether he got the rebound. He was kind of hanging around three point line. And then all of a sudden he bought in. He bought in, and this guy all of a sudden became a monster inside. You can't stop him. He's shown he can hit the inside hooks with the left and the right. And as you saw, he got a fortuitous bounce with that three-pointer against <laughs> Kentucky, which ended up being the winner. We're just like, no, no, no. Yep. Yes. <laughs> I think that's what I was saying in my office. That might have been uh, verbatim my exact words there. All right, let's go big picture here, Scott, and we'll start with this year. I, I, look, you're a college hoops junkie like I am. Um, this is a very top-heavy year with, with Duke and Gonzaga, two of the best teams, I think, uh, really recently in college basketball, and I think Duke's the favorites, and Vegas has them as the very heavy favorites. But beyond that, this seems like a year when so many teams, including LSU, has a real chance to make a surprise run to the Final Four. Do you think that that a, an LSU in the Final Four kind of run would be completely surprising to you? It wouldn't be surprising at all. I mean, and the reason I say that, because you're right, it is wide open. You and I talked. I remember I flew to Vegas for a basketball turn with North Carolina, UCLA, um, Texas, and Michigan State. And the moment I got into my hotel room, because you and I had talked about Duke, Michigan State, Michigan, I mean, Duke, uh, Gonzaga matchup. And I told you, because you're a Gonzaga fan, obviously. And I said, listen, man, Duke, everybody thinks they can't be beat. I'm predicting, mm-hmm. even though Duke is a six 
and a half point favorite, I'm predicting Gonzaga is going to win the game. <laughs> you and sure did. enough, they beat him and beat him handily. And my point is this: it's wide open. Those are the two favorites. And I laugh when when people say Duke is one to twenty, meaning like you can bet one dollar, I mean, and you're only going to win two cents uh, or five cents, I should say. I mean, my point is this: is like Gonzaga. This is the NCAA tournament. It is wide open. Those are the two best teams. But goodness gracious, remember when LSU went to the Final Four in 2006? Oh, yeah. They were a four seed or a three seed. I mean, you had Florida. George Mason was an 11. You had UCLA getting in Loyola there. Loyola Chicago. And, <laughs> and Sister Jean, man. Sister Jean. Sister Jean. But my point is this. Like, these are, this is the kind of thing that's happening in college basketball now. You never know. The Butler coming in for two straight years, getting to the finals. Uh, I mean, come on. Virginia Commonwealth. It just is going to happen expect it, but we don't know who to expect is going to happen because it could be anybody. That's the beauty of the March Madness. All right, let's zoom out to really big picture here, Scott. And I am curious to know how long will Wade, if he, if he was honest in that opening press conference, that this is one of the destinations that he thinks they can be a consistent national title contender here at LSU. Look, they have the resources. They might not have that history. Or if he's the very ambitious guy like we've seen where, hey, you know, if Roy Williams or Coach K retires or whoever it is, that he's going to jump at one of those opportunities. Do you see Will Wade here long-term, short-term, medium-term? What do you think? Well, let's be honest. I mean, what, who wouldn't jump if he got the opportunity at Duke? Let's, let's be real right there. But here's the difference is who wants to follow Coach K, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Or if you, there's, a, there's a lot of coaches that are great right now getting older. And Will Wade has shown himself when you can go like John Brady did this kind of same thing, but it took three years for him because he developed a team that was kind of reeling from probation from Dale Brown's last year. So Dale Brown's my hero in basketball, but Will Wade took this thing from a two and 16 team in conference to an eight and 10 last year and an eight and 10 team that fought and scrapped. And all of a sudden he's doing this. So would, could you blame him if he took, the great job. No. He's not going to take a job that's not a Kansas, that's not a North Carolina, Kentucky, UCLA, or Duke, that kind of range. But but here's the thing, man. If LSU puts up, because I've gotten to know Will pretty well, and I can guarantee you this, he wants to build his own legacy. And, you know, it's not like he's following Dale Brown. It's not like he's even following John Brady. They've had a couple of coaches that have had a glimpse of success, like Trent Johnson had that 14 and two year inheriting Brady's players from 2009. I'm talking about in the conference. And then obviously Johnny Jones had, you know, Johnny Jones, by the way, finished 11, seven. Hey, hey Scott, hold that. I want to pause right there. Can I hold you for 60 seconds? Sure. Okay. All right. We have hard news break here. Like always at the bottom of the hour. Scott Alexander coming back with us. Talking LSU hoops here with Scott Alexander of Primetime Sports on WLAE and CST. And Scott, we had to cut you off there, but continue your thoughts, man. I was, I was listening intently. All I'm going to say this, I don't remember my thought, but LSU has a great chance to go into the <laughs> maybe even the lead eight, because Will Wade's doing it the right way. And I think if LSU decides to upgrade the facilities, obviously give him the right raise, he loves it here. I know that for a fact, but I would never hold it against him if he decided to go to, it better be really green pastures. It better not be just an upgrade to another kind of state school. 
But the fact is, I think he's going to be here for a while. I really do. Yeah, well, look, LSU's in good hands if he does. A couple more things I want to touch uh, on with you, Scott. Let's talk about the Pelicans and Anthony Davis. And Do you believe that the Pelicans will play Anthony Davis after he's on national television talking about all the teams he wants to play for while he's under the contract and then walked out of the Smoothie King Center? Do you think that the Pelicans will play him? Do you think they should play him? Well, here's the thing, man. I'm torn. I love basketball. I love good basketball. I want to. If somebody pays a ticket for a game, I feel that they should get the product they get. But here's the other thing: I'm buying into the fact, hey, we can't play this guy because he's the only investment that this team has to have a future. Because you could get, you know, obviously a Jason Tatum, and maybe couple that with a Jalen Brown, or maybe even a couple draft picks. If he gets injured. It's going to be lights out for this franchise. But if you ask me what I think will happen, I think there's no way Anthony Davis sits for 24 straight games. I mean, I could be wrong, but I just can't picture that scenario. I don't know how it's going to work out. It's the weirdest kind of, as a former agent, it's the weirdest situation because I always kind of side for the player, but you know, I believe Nola. I believe New Orleans. I'm from here and I love this town. And I just want this, this franchise to be here for the long term. I want, them to get the best ability they can get in trade for him, you know, in return, you know, this whole Chris Paul fiasco, you know, you know, David Stern, you know, nixed the Lakers deal. Then they got the Clippers deal. And you saw the picture of the guys that came like Eric Gordon and obviously Chris came and, and, uh, you know, freak, Amino. And these guys looked like they were hostage in the hostage situation. I want guys that want to play in New Orleans, want to be in New Orleans and want to be New Orleans Pelicans. And the thing is, is, if he gets hurt, that's all going to get taken away. He, the the former agent angle of this is interesting to me, Scott. I actually haven't asked you this, and I'm just thinking, I don't know why I haven't asked you this, but what do you think of Rich Paul and Clutch Sports' entire role in this situation? I'm torn because it's easy to bash him. It really is. But if you're asking me, like we were sitting in a bar and me and you talking, I'd tell you this, man. I think they thought he was doing a solid because they, they went 22 and 28 at that point. If they were 25 and 25, I'm thinking that, you know what, he's going to wait till the summer because they're still in the playoff picture because at that point they would have been only two or three games behind. And everybody thought they might be. But then they had the injury to AD. They had the injury, obviously, to Nico and also to Julius Randle after it had a promising few games. And once it went to 22-28, now you're only like a week and a half from the All-Star break. I just, I just listen, I'm, I'm upset as a New Orleanian that it came to this, but as an agent – I don't think Rich Paul was doing the bad thing. I mean, I think he probably said, hey, maybe we can go to the Lakers. I hate the fact that there's all this kind of just just weird kind of inside thing with LeBron and obviously Rich Paul and obviously Anthony Davis joining them last season. It just makes it a little bit sorted and a little just makes me a little bit unsavory. But the fact is, I think when they made that announcement, I don't think they did it as a you have to do this now. I really think that, hey, get the best you can. If it was, if the Celtics were involved still, if they could have made the deal at that point instead of having to wait till the summer, mm -hmm. I think it would have been less unsavory. But you know, because of the fact that he's, you know, the connection with LeBron, everybody knows, you know, like LeBron's, you know, you know, once in LeBron, so does LeBron. It just made it kind of weird. And now the rest of the season is going to be very, very strange. Yeah, very easy punching bags. Uh, Scott's the voice and CEO of uh, Nola Gold Rugby. Scott, a first loss over the weekend at three and one for Nola Golds. How how was uh, the turnout out there for that uh, opening home stand? And look, the season just just get really getting underway here. You got the two th three-fourths of the season still left. 
Well, the beauty of this sport is like they, the record was still first place, three and one. But besides that, we got in every single bonus point, and it's kind of crazy. Like we're 17 points in the next highest team, 14, and after that, it's way below. So this is team's rolling. It's the most exciting team in the league. They're going to go on a little bit of a road trip. But when they come back March 23rd, you know, we've been getting crowds of 1,500, 2,000. And I'm expecting – I mean, when you look at sports, I mean, like the baby cakes have been averaging 550 over the last, what, 12 years? Yep. And that's fact. So we're growing. And I know East Bankers don't always like to go to the West Bank. But I'm going to say this right now. This stadium was built, and everybody that goes from the VIP tents, everything, they have a blast. So – if we don't have at least 2,500 or 3,000 for the game, the next game on March 23rd, I'll be very disappointed. No, I will be in that um, in that audience. Uh, oh, yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been busy with uh, Pelican stuff the last couple of weeks. But I'm going to come up there and bother you in the booth, man. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come. I'm going to come give you a little business up there. <laughs> I, I call the game for me. Oh, God. Scott, I heard – I would be the same as you. I think I heard you on Sports Talk talking about your, your preparation uh, for this and how intense it was and that you're still learning. Look, dude, uh, you already know 10,000 times as much now about rugby than I do. The last time I really interacted with rugby was I was an intramural sports supervisor in college, and I was doing uh, – like supervising the women's rugby team. Uh, so I'd have to go out there for hours and watch them in rainy practices and stuff. So that is my, the extent well, of my – uh, rugby experience. So, uh, I, well, you're I, way ahead of me. When I started, <laughs> I, had, I knew nothing about it, and I just hired an Australian that knew a lot. So I just was like chiming in. But now I'm learning it. I'm hooked, and I'm loving it. So get, come on, get out there. But let's still support our Pelicans, man. They deserve your support too. I'm a basketball fan, as you know, huge. I love college, NBA equally. And you know what? Regardless of the whole AD situation, just get out and support our sports, including tomorrow night when UNO plays Southeastern. These two teams are both 9-4. and four. Go to the UNO Lake Front Arena and support that as well. Indeed. Scott, we'll talk to you again. Thanks for your time tonight, man. All right, my brother. All right, Scott Alexander of Primetime Sports on WLAE and CST, CEO of NOLA Gold, basketball junkie like myself. It's one of our favorite times of the year. We'll take a break. When we come back, speaking of basketball, Less savory stuff to talk about. Tim Donahue, former NBA ref, talk about how he conspired to fix NBA games. Many more details emerging today about that saga. You're going to want to stay tuned for this year on the last lap. We'll get to Tim Donahue in a second, but let's go to the phone lines because Steve and Homa wants to talk a little rugby, apparently. Steve, what's going on? Hey, Chad, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. You, what, you could probably tell yeah. me more about rugby if you're calling in and then I could tell you. So what you got, man? <laughs> well, when I worked in Africa, I remember I uh, watched the movie called Invictus. Yes. Uh, have you ever seen the I, movie? I did. It was a long time ago, um, but I have yeah. seen it. Yeah, it was based on a true story with Mandela and everything. Uh, it was a predominantly white team. Um, it, and that team basically brought that nation together. And uh, they went undefeated, and they won the world championship that year. And if anybody hasn't seen it, please rent it. It's a very inspirational movie, and it was great. Invictus. It was great. All right, all right. I got to check it out again. Like I said, I watched – gosh, it's been so, so long since I watched that. Um, but I'll, I'll definitely check it out, Steve. And I told you, I'm definitely going – to Nola Gold when they come back after Mardi Gras in March. In fact, I think I'm going to have family in town. I was thinking about taking them 
to that home game that Scott was referencing on the 23rd. A lot of family in town then. Let's get to Thanks for the call, Steve. I want to talk about Tim Donahue here. And there is an incredible article. And this article doesn't deserve uh, do it credit. This is a novella by ESPN's writer Scott Eden is his name. The title is How Former Ref Tim Donahue Conspired to Fix NBA Games. And in this article, and really it reads like a novel, like a novella, he sets the stage for how, since the Tim Donahue scandal, which is an old scandal now, it was in 2007, about a decade ago, when we were talking about this and we found out that Tim Donahue was betting on his own games. He ended up going to prison. The NBA was involved in this, or they, we thought they were involved in this. Ended up they weren't. They tried to convince that this was a rogue actor and that he never really fixed any games. Nothing came of it. Now, a lot of onlookers thought for the last decade, that's nonsense. Of course he was fixing games. He was point-shaving uh, if he's betting on these games. The NBA said no. Donahue, to this day, has said no, that didn't happen. Well, unbeknownst to anybody, and certainly the NBA or Tim Donahue, the last two years, two full years, Scott Eden and his colleagues at ESPN were investigating this. And this came to light and is more relevant now because, and Scott goes into this in his piece, because sports betting now is being legalized across the country after the landmark Supreme Court case that lifted the ban on uh, sports betting. So the states are having to enact its piecemeal, but it's coming. And this will be legalized across the nation from coast to coast sooner rather than later, probably sooner than you know, marijuana is legalized uh, from coast to coast. Uh, similar stories there um, going on. And they got multiple, and when I say multiple, I'm talking about dozens of people on the record. No, um, I shouldn't say no, but for the most part, this wasn't a, a story based on anonymous sources or unattributed sources. You had people like Jimmy Baba Blacksheep Batista involved here, Pete Rhino Regeri, Phil Scala, Jack Concanon, Tommy Martino, the Gambino family in New York are all involved in this. And what ESPN found out, and it's incredibly well documented, this isn't a case of a couple of people saying one thing and it's a little bit of hearsay but multiple sourced. No, this is every I dotted, every T crossed. They found out that Tim Donahue for years, for years, not just the year that the NBA and Tim Donahue said he was doing this, but for years was – fixing games in the NBA well before that year where he was caught. And this goes so deep and so wide and vast of a conspiracy that we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars being bet on games that Tim Donahue officiated because – he was telling people to bet on the team where he was going to call uh, the game favorably for them. It's inc it's incredible. In this article, he asked Scott, the author of this, does, quote, it remains one of the most tantalizing questions in all of American professional sport. Does game fixing still exist? End quote there. A lot of people here locally in New Orleans we're asking that after the Nolan O call. Was the fix in on that game? 
told you I don't believe that it was. It wasn't a top-down conspiracy. But in this case in the NBA, this also, at least as far as we know, and there wasn't any evidence here to refute that, this wasn't a top-down conspiracy in the NBA. This was one rogue actor that indeed did call games in a, a very, looking back on it, it's so obvious, but a very obvious way uh, in the favor of the teams he wanted to win, or at least wanted to cover the spread. They even go to statistics in here. The statistics aren't the interesting part of this. It's really how this reads like a novel, and then the gamblers and the bookies and the crime families and the syndicates that he's involved in. It's a long read. It's like 30 pages printed out. It's worth every minute of it. But they do go into statistics in here on how Donahue was calling games for the teams that he bet on. So 40 games officiated between December 12, 2006 and March 21st, 2007, which according to one source is likely the last game uh, before Tim Donahue got involved with some other people. But there's this stretch here that they analyzed from December 12th, 06 to March 21st, 2007. And they pulled videos and analyzed each play in those 40 games and games that Donahue officiated. What they found out, this is incredible. Donahue favored the side that he bet on in 23 of those 30 games, 77% of the time. They also found out that Donahue's track record of making calls that favored his bet, if you want to put this in win-loss tie terms, 23-3-4. Kind of the mic drop here. In the article, statistically, the odds, this is a quote from the article, quote, the odds that Tim Donahue would have randomly made calls that produced that imbalance are 6,155 to 1. In other words, Donahue was calling games favoring the teams that he bet on. He was point shaving. He was fixing games regardless of his cries of innocence in that regard. In the last 10 years, the NBA at the end of this, when they found out that Donahue was involved and David Stern had to call a press conference and they set up an independent investigation on this. They said after the year that this went on, that they also found no evidence to suggest that Donahue was rigging games. Now we know, thanks to this article and incredible research by Eden and his staff and his colleagues, that that indeed did happen. There's also a really disturbing part about this that they go into in a, a whole chapter here in the article. That the FBI, who was involved in investigating the Gambino crime family in New York, they caught word of this, they got involved, and they were going to wire Tim Donaghy as he talked to other officials in the NBA to try to find out if this was more deep-seated, if this was wider, a wider problem in the NBA, right before that happened, some anonymous source informs, I believe it was the New York Post, yeah, it was the New York Post, that blared news of the FBI investigation across its front, uh, across its front page. And that FBI investigator is 
uh, last name is uh, Scala, and also special agent in charge Kevin Hallinan. They believe that David Stern or his cohorts in the NBA leaked that story to the New York Post so that Donahue was outed and he couldn't wear a wire without anybody knowing that they put a kibosh of that because they were afraid of what that might uncover in the NBA. Unsurprising to me that David Stern was involved in something like that. So, in a nutshell here, go read this first. It is incredible. It'll take you about 45 minutes, but it is worth it. It reads like a novel. You will be incredibly intrigued. I tweeted it out at Seth Dunlap on Twitter. It's also on ESPN right now. You can just search how former ref Tim Donahue conspired to fix NBA games. Scott Eden's the author. And the other part of this that we know, now, assuredly, even, even though there was maybe some plausible deniability that this didn't happen before, we know that for years an NBA official was fixing NBA games in the very recent past. This isn't the, the Black Sox scandal of the early 1900s. This happened a decade ago in the NBA. And if you don't think issues like this aren't going to pop up now, that sports betting is proliferating across the country. And I I bet. I play poker for a living. I don't mind gambling. I don't mind sports betting. I'm not anti-sports betting. But what I do think we need to do is take a look at how it will affect our sports and our sports leagues. And this article is very necessary. I'm hoping to get Scott Eden on maybe tomorrow or Thursday on the show to go over all of this with us. It's incredible. Text from the 504, breaking news, the NBA is fixed. Old news there. Yeah, well, maybe so a little bit. I told you I am a believer in the NBA draft conspiracies. We're going to take a break. We'll come back with your calls. 504-260-1870. Hop on in with us. 504-260-1870. Our text line is 870-870. It's the last lap on WWL. Here's a text from the 504. Ridiculous, Seth. We here in New Orleans know that it's impossible for any officials to tamper with a pro sports game. It's a good text there. Here is a text from the 504. Hey, guys, the caller is right. Invictus is basically the story of the Saints Super Bowl win, but rugby. It's an example of how it is more than just sports. Yeah, go watch Invictus. All right, let's go to Michael and Metairie on the phone line. Michael, welcome to the show tonight. Hey, Seth. Well, let me make a couple of points that Charles Barkley had brought it up. I mean, let's be honest. You can literally lose all the regular season games get in the SEC tournament, and suddenly run the tables, get in the NCAA tournament, and it's a whole nother league. Who was number one in the regular season last year? Most people don't even know. What's the point of it? I mean, really, LSU loses this weekend. The big dance is next month. They're going to be in that. So what's the point of this weekend? I mean, it's, it's proceeding, but it isn't the same as NCAA football. Tell me I'm not right about that. Uh, you're not right about it. Do you want me to tell you you're not right? You're not right about it, Michael, and here's why. Seeding does matter. Do you think that seeding doesn't matter in NFL football? Yeah, but it's not the same. It, it, it isn't, doesn't take gravity that it would during football. It's not as exciting. Charles Bartley made the, made the same point. Yeah, you're right about the seeding, but it isn't a live-or-die thing. LSU is going to be in the tournament. And that's a fact. I but mean, the, the longer so, that they – I get what you're saying. You're saying that they can lose a game and they're not in danger of not making the playoff, which is just basketball. I mean, it's basketball is a different sport than football. Basketball is played multiple games over a week and a, and a lot of games over a season compared to the relatively short schedule of football. So it's just not the same sport. Their postseason is going to be different. 
But the reason that it does matter, and this is what I would I would tell you, and trust me on this, I mean this, this isn't lip service just because I like the sport. Seating, and not just seating, Michael, but where you are seated, and I'm talking about the regions that you're playing in, matter a ton in this. And in fact, I'd actually say where you play and what region you're in is actually more important than your actual seed line. And the good news is the NCAA selection committee over the last few years, they're valuing that. They'll drop a team one seed line to make sure they stay close to home or perhaps get in a bracket with not the number one overall seed. For example here, Duke's the number one overall seed. Almost assuredly, they're going to be the number one overall seed into the tournament, and they're going to be the number one seed in the East region. So LSU, if they're the worst four seed, they'll probably get put in that East region. If they're the best four seed or maybe a good three seed if they win or a good two seed, they'll go to the Midwest or the South, and they'll play in that Virginia or Tennessee or Michigan State, or heck, if LSU runs the table, they'll be a one seed. So it really does matter. Of course, you still got to go play the games, but that's like in football. Just because you got a one seed doesn't mean you're actually going to make a Super Bowl. Look at what happened to the Saints, regardless of that terrible no call. Speaking of officiating there. One more hour of the show to go. Back after news. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.